Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, everybody. This is Sean Palmer. Actually, it's still good morning on the Seth and Sean Sports Radio Show. Uh, we're having a little bit of technical difficulties here at Blog Talk Radio. So we're working on that, and hopefully we'll have Seth Kamen on the show relatively quickly. Um, I'm actually walking into my office right now, so that should be momentarily. So we will call back in in uh, just two minutes and hopefully have Seth on. All right. Thanks, everybody. Mr. Caymans, are you Hello. there? Hello. Hello. How are you, sir? Sorry, we. It, it, apologies to all. As I said before, we were having a little bit of technical difficulties here at Blog Talk Radio, but whoa, Nelly, we're here today. So, <laughs> an unfortunate passing this past weekend. Uh, Keith Jackson, Seth, more of the college sports fan than myself, but certainly the. Name recognition and the voice of the Rose Bowl passing away this past year at the at, at past weekend at the ripe old age of 89, and he hadn't uh, broadcasted in a couple of years. But wow, what a voice and certainly a legacy that he left behind. Yeah, um, morning everybody. The preeminent college football voice of our generation. Um, I think the last I think the last game that he did, last national game he did, was the USC Texas uh, Vince Young finale in 2006, which is pretty much thought of as the greatest, one of the three greatest games of our of my lifetime. Um, I think he may have done a couple Pac-10 games since he lived out there, uh, but you know, he, he, but he's done everything. He was the first sportscaster to go to Russia to actually. He handled a sporting event in Russia. He handles baseball. He handled basketball. He handled a variety of things, although college football was his forte and what he was best known for. Also, Sean, you may not know, he was the first actual, he was in the first year of Monday Night Football. But a truly great voice yeah, to be best. It, uh, it was him, Howard Cosell, and Don Meredith, right? Those Don are the Meredith. three? Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, certainly so, yeah, would be missed. He only lasted one year. Somehow I don't see Keith, you know I don't see Keith Jackson and Howard Cosell. I, I don't see the mesh on that one. <laughs> Call me crazy. 
No, probably not. But uh, and it it didn't work very well. And you know, I heard Howard Cosell um, on some broadcast this past weekend. I was in New Mexico and in Phoenix visiting my family this past weekend, and it was you know those those broadcasters. We we hear certain broadcasters now, and immediately you you know their voice. I mean, I I think Joe Buck is one of uh, Joe Buck is one of them. I think Al Michaels is one of them. Bob Costas is one of them. But there's probably four or five, and you have your you have your hometown guy, right? I mean, I know Bob Murphy. Or I knew Bob Murphy. I knew Ian Eagle. I, I still know Ian Eagle by voice. I probably know Sean McDonough from Monday Night Football and the fact that he's a Syracuse grad. But back in the '60s and '70s, there were very few. There were local broadcasts, but the national broadcasts, because there were so few stations. You knew those voices. You knew when Keith Jackson came on the air, it was college football time. You knew when Howard Cosell came on the air, it was either Monday Night Football or it was boxing. And those yeah. voices were were so pronounced and so good, and they were so, they were the best of their craft because there were only three slots. Period. End of story. On the national but broadcast. Then, when you talk about college football, remember until really the advent of ESPN. It was you had Saturday football. There was one or two games a year, a week that were on television. So Keith Jackson was, was on ABC. And Keith Jackson would be doing it. the big game of the year. The two biggest biggest games were Oklahoma and Nebraska, which in the seventies and eighties was the rivalry. And then either Auburn, Alabama, or Ohio State, Michigan. And you know, as ESPN came into play, and there were so and suddenly instead of two games on TV every weekend, they were 20 or 25. It's hard to maintain the same, I guess, the same popularity or familiarity when you, you know, when every other game you're watching has, has different people announcing it. You know, we've had two monsters in the last, you know, two months died, Keith Jackson and, of course, Dick Emberg, uh, longtime baseball, college basketball, Olympics, all of the above. And they were really the voices when we started watching sports. In the early 80s, Al Michaels was there, but not to the popularity he is today. Bob Costas was saved. Mike Tirico wasn't a speck on the uh, – it was really – it was for, for the NFL was Pat Summerall and John Madden on the CBS. It was Rowan Olsen and Dick Enberg on NBC. It was Keith Jackson – for college football, I mean, maybe you know, you would know better than I do who would be baseball. Um, for you know, for local, it would be Rizzuto, I would think. Um, you know, the Yankee guy nationally, maybe Jack Buck. And yeah, it was NBA Jack Buck. Out. Yeah, I mean, it was Jack Buck, and it was Dick Emberg. I mean, Dick Emberg. Yeah. The, the 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 best thing about Dick Emberg, uh, from from my recollection and from the recollections of others. We're not trying to slight Keith Jackson here by going back to Dick Emberg, but we didn't really talk a whole lot about him when he passed away either, is the fact that he did it all. I mean, Dick Emberg did football, baseball, basketball, the Olympics, golf. I mean, he was most known for golf. More than anything else, in his later years, he did a ton of golf and a ton of tennis. Him and I remember him and Chris Everett, and then him and Sam sure. Shriver. What's that? Do Wimbledon. Yeah, they would do yeah. they did Wimbledon for many years on NBC. 
him and McEnroe um, did some stuff. I mean, he w- he was the consummate professional that you could put. Look, there weren't a lot of athletes in the booth right away. I mean, you had you had Dan Deardorf uh, in the booth for a long time as Monday Night Football, but but the advent of the athlete in the booth wasn't a big one until recently. I mean, or on the or on the sh- on the uh, pregame and postgame, but Dick Enberg worked seamlessly with everybody. And in tennis, he only worked with athletes. It seemed like him and Mary Carrillo, him and Pam Shriver, him and Chris Lloyd. Cr- Chris Everett, excuse me, him and McEnroe. I mean, he was the consummate professional, and he did it all. And he was the one on the baseball game of the week. I mean, it was him. You also had uh, Harry. Yeah, you had Joe Garagiola. I mean, those were the guys. And Tony Kubek later on. But those were the guys. Well, of course. Well, Vince Scully and Harry Carey and Joe Buck or uh, Jack Buck. Well, I don't. Or be I don't think Harry. Honest. I don't think Harry Carey or Joe Buck did uh, did the games of the week. No, I they think did. That was either they did the Denver World Series. Yes. No, they were doing the World Series. So yeah, but and suppose that, look, apparently Keith Jackson did a lot of these things. Again, it was just before we were born. Right. So we didn't really get to see yeah. him do baseball or do the Olympics or anything along those lines. Or I just don't remember it if he did. Yeah, by the time we were, I, I guess, following sports. It, it was a little later in Keith Jackson's career, and he would have been very – look, if there was a weekend of sports, uh, certainly a game of sports, that his patented Woe Nelly would have come out, that Saints-Vikings uh, game he would have been very proud of. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a pretty easy segue uh, into, that, into that into the playoffs. A phenomenal Sunday and an awful Saturday. I'm glad if I had to skip one of the two days, I skipped the right one. Um, Me too. We'll start. We'll start with New Orleans. Uh, the, the game of the weekend going in, and it really lived up to the expectation. Minnesota jumps out to a 17 nothing lead. New Orleans really foregoes the running game. I didn't hear Mark Ingram mention too much last on, on Sunday. You know, you have a game where four you have four changes of changes of lead. In the last three minutes, New Orleans kicks the field goal with 30 seconds left, which was really a fault of Mike Zimmer not taking enough time off the clock when they were when Case was leading them in the Keaton was leading them in the other direction previously. Agreed. That game that game was over. That game, with 30 second with 10 seconds left, third and 10 from your 39. That game with no timeouts. That game is over, and it just. It was interesting listening to. I don't. A lot of times I don't really listen to post game to post game analysis because I don't really, to be honest, care. But it was interesting listening to what they were talking about on Monday. I was listening to both. Uh, I think it was Lewis Riddick on ESPN, and I want to say Stro- uh, Shannon Sharp on Fox, which I never do. But and they were saying like Marcus Williams went for the ta- went for the play. He was tackling to keep – instead of just trying to tackle him, he was trying to be not too cute but almost too smart. He was trying to tackle him to keep him in bounds. So we Correct. went for the wrong leg and, did, you know, it just went under him. Because he tackled – and the, the sad part is he tackles him regardless of – regardless, he's not getting out of bounds the game is over. He wasn't that close. He wasn't close enough to the sideline 
where he would have gone out of bounds if he was tackled while he was in the air. Hmm. Interesting. You see, I, 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 I thought he was close enough to get out of bounds. I, I did. When he was in now. the air, I don't think he was. When he went down, okay. he took a step to be to get to gain. This is again. This is my. This was my view, not anyone else's. Um, right. He when he put his hand down, he lost his momentum a little bit. He moved towards the out of bounds, and that was why yeah. it ended, he ended up being so close. But in a week, in an awful week for my beloved Terps, there was one. The one saving grace was watching Stephon Diggs uh, run, pretty much watch himself ride Tilmore-esque, uh, or ride Tidwell-esque, excuse me, to the end zone to give Minnesota the win, and probably the head of the. Uh, you know, they're now the favorites to go to the Super Bowl uh, in, in a couple of weeks. You think they're the favorites still? After what be, what be, Philadelphia be was Philly? able to do, yeah, yeah, I do, I do. Okay, um, I mean, look, they are the feel-good story. I mean, if you're rooting for a team and you're not a Patriots fan, um, you're rooting for them. I don't think you're rooting for Jacksonville. I mean, Jacksonville to me is a really hard team to root for. I don't I don't know why, but I find them incredibly hard to root for. Maybe because it's their style of play. Maybe it's because the quarterback is just – he's been thrown under the bus so many times by so many people, including his own team, that his own team really doesn't have confidence in him. So why should I? I mean, it, it, it really has come to that. But maybe that's it. I, I, I'm not exactly sure, but certainly I am just not on the Jacksonville bandwagon at all. You want to see New England win? No, I don't want to see New England win. But I, I'm, I don't find see New England win. What are you kidding? Oh, uh, well, I, 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 it, you made the point of how much you dislike Jacksonville. So yeah, no, I, mean, I no. What I was saying was I don't find Jacksonville an endearing team to root for. Like they are the underdog, right? Of all, of, of all four of the teams, they are the underdog. They are the they are they are the prohibitive underdog in this scenario. Of all four teams, they have the hardest route there. And, in fact, you could have made the case of all the teams this weekend. They probably, going in, them and Tennessee, probably had the hardest routes to get there. And they still came out of it. And if they had any other quarterback or any any wide receivers whatsoever, you might think, okay, I'm going to hitch my wagon to these guys and I'm going to root for them. But I find them to be just not an interesting team, and maybe they are what everybody else thought the Giants were in the 80s. Like, they're just not an interesting team. They, they, they win, yes. They win with good defense. They win with a running game. But they're just, they are. I mean, if Coughlin wanted to – they are the 86 Giants. I mean, you look at them yeah. piecemeal, they are very much in the shape of the 86 Giants except they have a quarterback that makes more mistakes than Phil Simpson. Other than that, and they, yeah, yeah I guess Mercedes Mar- Lewis is, is Mark Bavaro. McCockney is Mark. They're a very, uh, okay. They're a very poor version of the, they're, they're more of the 84, 85 giants where they're still putting everything together, but there does seem to be a very solid plan in place. Now watching the defense, 
is to me is fun. Now, yep. I was on the Bate Isles so much to talk about last week. He picked, now I find this insane, but he picked Jalen Ramsey to be the NFL MVP next year. I have no idea how you can ever pick a second, pick a cornerback as an MVP. But Has there ever been a cornerback? That's no. Been, that's been a. No. I mean, has there ever has there? No, I'm saying has there ever been a defensive back? Well, safety or otherwise? No. no. Not in the right. last thirty so, or forty years, and I don't see it happening any time in the near future. I kind of told him he was insane on that. Um, well, that's okay. But we tell him he's insane a lot. There's nothing agreed. to do about that. But we'll, we'll hopefully get together to watch at least one of the games on Sunday. But he. Um, the defense, Miles Jack, great athlete. Jalen Ramsey, great athlete. Uh, A.J. Bowie, great athlete. Yannick, uh, the team is stacked as a, what do you call it? The defense is stacked. The running game with, with Fournette, obviously, who's just, he looks like he's older than us. He's 21 years old. And, and Yeldon is in good shape. The question, the million-dollar question, and we know this, is, is the million-dollar question is can with 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 lower-tier wide receivers and a quarterback who can lose you the game, can you go to New England and win? Probably not, but I'll tell you, I'm really interested. In in kind of the, def- the 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 Jacksonville defense New England offense matchup, because they're going to press. They're going to. I'm very curious to see who they put on Gronkowski. So unlike most teams, they have the athletes to actually. They have the athletic people on the defensive end to bother him. Whether it's Miles yeah. Jack, who is an ex running back who plays linebacker, whether it's Jalen Ramsey, who's a big strong corner, um, you know. I think you're going to have to put one of those guys on Gronkowski and try and frustrate him. Yeah. Now, do I think they win? No, but I don't. I don't think that. Like, I don't. I had no interest in the New England Tennessee game. Under no circumstance did I think that game was going to be remotely clo- remotely close, and it was proven right. I think this game could be interesting. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's all about can they control the football, right? I mean, it, yes, it's it's very similar to the look. I, I don't equate the 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 Patriots offense to that of the Buffalo Bills offense because the 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 what do they call it the K gun at that point the K gun is certainly yeah. a better offense probably than that of well they got Thurman Thomas so they're a better they're a better offense but they need to do Jacksonville needs to do exactly what exactly what the Giants did they need to control the ball and that's the only way that they're going to win in New England or in, if the game was in Jacksonville they need the same advice they need to control the ball and they need to hold the ball probably I don't know there's Sixty percent of the game to win, maybe sixty-five. No, not seventy-five. No, sixty-five. Sixty-five. Sixty-five percent of the game. For about thirty-two to thirty-five minutes, you're probably going to need to have 
Fournette have somewhere between 25 and 30 carries for about 100, you know, he's for 100 to 120 yards. I mean, that's you're going to have to run the clock up. But I mean, look. I'd go team. one more. I, I'd go one more. They so so Tennessee had five pressures and no sacks on Brady. I think you got to sack him four times, and you got to hit him at least ten. Well, I mean, just looking at the. I mean, I'm trying to think when when New England New England got whipped this year by Miami. Yep. And the reason Miami was able to beat them was Indonikin Sue got an enormous and Cameron Wake enormous pressure on Brady. Yes. The cornerbacks yes. were bumping and running and pressure, were bumping and playing physical on the wideouts. Because other yep. than Gronkowski, these are not big guys. Amendola is not big. Hogan's, I mean, decent size. Cooks is not is like he's one one eighty five. These aren't huge. Yep. These aren't Brandon Marshall, Alshon Jeffrey. They're not six five two thirty guys. So you have to you have to be able to physically take them out of their timing patterns. And I think with Jacksonville's defense is going to be able to do that to some degree. Um, but, again, it's also let up 42 points to Pittsburgh, so maybe I'm still talking a little bit out of school. But I, it, is, it should be – I think it will be a pretty interesting game. I think it's going to be relatively close, and New England will score a late touchdown to kind of probably make it like a 30-20 to 20 final something along those lines. But I think it's going to be close for a good – probably through the beginning of the fourth quarter. I don't, but I you're don't also – yeah, sorry. You don't see this way as a, as a complete blowout. No, I don't. Tennessee, to me, was the worst team in the playoffs. Mike Malarkey was probably deservedly let go or mutually agreed upon, regardless of them beating Kansas City. He did not – that team underachieved this year. Mariota underachieved this year. And so t- it made sense to me that, that he was let go. Ja- I look at this Jacksonville team. And this is a team, this is a, a, he said this is built in that Bill Parcells and Tom Coughlin was there as an assistant. That tough defense running game and pass when you need to, but for more pass to not screw up anything else. And I, I think they're going to give New England some problems. I don't think they win. They're going to give them the game. Okay, I mean, I don't think they win either. Um, I think it would be very hard to win. Obviously, it would be hard, but I, I think everything would have to turn out right for them to win. And they need to get at least four sacks, at least. And they need constant pressure. And part of the fact that not only did Sue uh, pressure Brady, but the the defensive backs, which Look, that is the strong point. The, the the good part for Jacksonville is that their strength is exactly what New England's strength is. So their strength is in the defensive secondary, and the strength of New England is obviously not the running game. So New England, I think, will have to run the ball. I mean, consistently run the ball. And they will be getting Burkett back, and I think they're getting Gillisey back, which are – very important for them going forward. Excuse me on this. Excuse me. So, i I think the I think the fact is they play into Jacksonville's hands with that. But Belichick is Belichick, and we've seen this before, where we think that they have their number, we think they play right in, and they don't. 
So I am very much like you, except I think it'll be even bigger. I think it'll be 34 to 20. I think it'll be two scores. Um, I know you said 30 to 20, so we're we're in the same ballpark here. Um, okay, so we have one side now in the NS. Well, first of all, how surprised were you that Pittsburgh lost, and in the manner that they did lose? I was surprised they lost. I was more disappointed in how in how it was done. This is a team that talked that didn't seem to be that really looked like they were looking through a team that beat them by twenty one. Yep. I think they pretended the best. And this team whipped our whipped our ass. How are we talking about New England after they beat us, you know, thirty to nine? And they came out and looked like this was a team that they could walk through. It made no sense. Um, I didn't like the game plan from Pittsburgh. You know, Le'Veon Bell getting 16 carries. You know, again, part of that was because they were down so quick. Um, the reality is, you know, when Ryan Shazier went out, you know, he, he was their defensive MVP. They could not recover. Um, they, you know, we had talked they probably needed to, actually, probably needed to have a defensive touchdown. They did. And as good as Roethlisberger and Bell and Brown are, I mean, you can't let up 45 points to Jacksonville. You just can't. And I'm disappointed. I don't think the team was particularly well coached. I don't think the team was particularly disciplined. And this is a team that all year they've been talking, they want New England, they want New England, they want New England. Now there's 30 other teams in the NFL. And you can't look past anybody who makes who makes the second you know makes the second round of the playoffs? Again, Tennessee was a little bit more fluky. But Jacksonville's been a good team all year. Not a not a spectacular team, not an exciting team, but a solid team all year who beat the living crap out of you in October. So look past them made no sense. I think Todd Haley's yeah. gone. I, yeah. I think that he. I, 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 Is I'm Mike Tomlin in trouble? No. Should he no, be? Not. Should no. he be? Well, See, and I disagree. I, I think he should be. I think he should. I think he should be. In, maybe not lose his job, but I think he's on. I think he should be on thin ice here. They came unprepared for this game, completely. They were outcoached, a hundred percent. They've been outcoached a lot this year. They were outcoached in the in the Patriots game. They were outcoached in this game. They've been outcoached a couple other games. They've been thoroughly outcoached. And they've been unprepared. And I don't recall seeing that in the past. I don't recall seeing that in the past. So this is just something that, I don't know. I, I think that they just came out unprepared. Uh, Seth, you're going to have to talk for two seconds because i got to jump off the line and jump on a different call. So go ahead. All right. So, jumping from uh, the AFC to the NFC, which is unusual because usually the the NFC kind of seems to be take the forefront. Um, we we have Philadelphia who really put on a gutsy defensive display in, in beating Atlanta fifteen uh, ten. Atlanta just if someone can explain to me how, first of all how Steve Sarkeesian is the offensive coordinator for Atlanta has blown my mind anyway, but you have one of the three best wideouts in football in Julio Jones. 
Jones, Antonio Brown, uh, DeAndre Hopkins, choose your order. How is he one for 19 in red zone catches this year? How is that possible? Um, I don't, didn't love the play call when you have a guy who's – I don't mind the rollout, uh, the pass run option. But Matt Ryan's not runner. So no one's re- – it, it, has, it has a lot less of a threat. Um, you have, you know, you have Tevon Coleman, you have Devontae Freeman, you have, there are people out of the backfield that I would have, I just didn't like the play calls at the end. You know, kudos to Nick Foles for playing an efficient game, which is exactly the way I would describe it. And that defense is really, look, Fletcher Cox, um, Barnett, this is a good, it's a good defense. And Doug Peterson probably hasn't gotten enough credit this year. Um, because, well, John DeFilippo, who's going to, who, you know, who's the quarterback's coach, you know, is getting a lot of credit for Carson Wentz. The defense came out of nowhere. Plus, you have, you know, you have guys like Doug Marone and Jacksonville, Sean McVay with the Rams, who really led teams from nowhere to, to you know, where they, you know, where they, where they escalated to this year. But for yeah, agreed. I mean... I mean, Marone, I got to tell you, we all thought that he was a flash in the pan when he was in Syracuse. We thought he was he was coming up the right – he was bringing them the right way, and then he leaves and goes to Buffalo. And then he turns them around, not into a playoff team, but on the right path. Then he leaves there and basically lost, like, any credibility for a couple of years. And he's resurfaced in Jacksonville. And, look, a lot of teams had a chance to sign Doug Marone as their coach, and they just – didn't do it, and they may all be shaking their heads right now because he's proved he's a good he's he's a very good coach. Yeah, but I don't I don't know how you shake your head at that because there was no reason to anticipate he would have been this good. He would have, he would have done. I mean, he did a decent job in Syracuse. He was okay with Buffalo. Like it, it wasn't it wasn't like he had a you know, meteoric rise like a McVeigh. You know, no, agree. So I mean, I, I, you know, there are things you can kind of look at and shake your head, but yep. that, that one's that one's hard too. So how do you see okay, how do you see the NFC game playing out? Or how did you see? I, I didn't see. To be fair, I didn't watch a lot of Philly Atlanta. Um, okay, so I watched most of Philly Atlanta, certainly all of the second half, and some of the first half, given that I was sit, sitting in an airport. So, and the bar closed, which made no sense before the end of the game. Um, but I did catch the rest. I did catch the rest of my phone. Um, look, Philly did not play well. They played enough. They had a good game plan. Pretty much, don't make a mistake, Nick Foles. And he didn't. And look, Matt Ryan, certainly on the last play of the game, but talk about bad play calling. Talk about bad coaching. The whole... I mean, did you see the end of the game with the four downs? Yeah, well, that was what, yeah, well, that was what I was talking about. That you know, I, I really don't have a clue how Sarkeesian got the OC job to begin with there, and the idea of having a Matt Ryan rollout, you know, he's not Cam Newton, he's not Russell Wilson. There's no really run option on it, so all you're really doing is limiting the field to throw it to because you're not going to yeah. throw against the body. And whether Julio Jones should have caught it, yeah, he probably should have, but. You know, there's something to be said when you have one of the three best wideouts in football, and he's what is he one for eighteen in red in red zone catches this year, or end yeah. zone catches. I mean, 
He's six five. Two ten, but he's not a he's not a twelve all wins, you know, alley you know alley fifty fifty ball kind of receiver. So I didn't like I out of what I saw and I was able to see some of the end of it as I was I was out. And I was but the T V was on just far in the back. Um I didn't like the play calling. Atlanta I thought was a better team. But they just yeah. they you know they they suffered they didn't want to say they suffered the hangover because look they got to the second round of the playoffs they lost on the road in Philly as a dome team not exactly a you know a shock but this is a team that I think is going to look back and say you know we blew an opportunity to go to the NFC absolutely Champions. absolutely because they would have gone right now to Minnesota right that's the way it would have played out I think they would have a shot in Minnesota. I mean, I really do. I think they match up that's very well with I Minnesota. I think that's a tough matchup for Minnesota. I agree. I think that's a rough matchup for Minnesota. Yeah. Um, or would have been. I think it's a much harder matchup than the one against Philly. I don't think the Philly uh, – look, I think Philly is a tough matchup because it's outside more than anything else yeah. for for Minnesota. I don't think it's a tough matchup when you look at the, the personnel – but I think the fact that Case Keenum has to play outside, and not to say Stefan Dix hasn't played outside, but the majority of that team, obviously they play 10 games. Uh, they play eight to, well, maybe nine to 10 games in a dome every year. Yeah, well, they, they play mean, in Detroit. They play in, you know, eight games at home, one game in Detroit. Right. Uh, Chicago yeah. and, and Green Bay are, are, are outside. But you, they probably play one other one other dome team. I don't know their schedule off the top of my head. Right. So nine to ten games uh, on the road, and they played very well. But you're right, Mike Zimmer. They could have if they lost that game. That was all on Mike Zimmer, a hundred percent for clock management. Yeah. It was Andy Reid times two. I mean, <laughs> it, it. Well, right. I mean, when you think of when you think of bad clock management, you think of Andy Reid. I mean, it, it's it's just normal to think of Andy Reid. And that was just awful. My my cousin and I are watching this game, the, the same game everybody else is, and we're like, why are they throwing the ball right here? I'm like, why? What's the purpose? He threw it on third. I think they threw it on second and third down when they could have wasted and. And at the same time, you look at Sean Payton and you say, "Why are you, why are you uh, challenging two two plays, which were kind of, I mean, were they important? Yes, because any play at that that stage in the game was important. But were they game changing? No, neither one was. I, I was shaking my head at that too, and Sean Payton could could pretty much just shake his head as well, and. Do you believe Sean Payton has worn out his welcome, or do you think that he's revitalized himself this year? I think he's revitalized himself. I mean, you know, this is now a team, instead of being led by, you know, pretty much being led solely by Drew Brees, Drew Brees is a very nice supporting player. And, I, you, you know, your, your, your defense is solid with Cam Jordan and, and, and the secondary and Vaccaro and uh, Marshawn Lattimore. And I mean, hopefully Marcus Williams recovers. Um you have two stud running backs in Ingram and Kamara. You have a, a solid number one wideout in Mike Thomas. Um, you, you got you, know, you have to get a quarterback in there because um, as good as Breeze is, 
at some point you're going to have a you're going to have a decrease in productivity. But as a you know, if he doesn't have to like look. He threw for three sixty. He threw for three seventy and change against in, in the in the game again in the early, in, the, in the first round game. So it's not yep. like we're talking like Manning step back here, you know. But no, I agree. He's Forty years old. You know, he well, I'm not, some, but Seth, I'm not I'm not talking about Drew Brees. I'm talking about Sean Payton. Yeah, no, I understand that. But what I'm saying is, if I'm Peyton, why would I want to leave this? This team is set to be solid into contend for the next few years, as long as they bring in a quarterback to support Breeze if at some point, you know, the inevitable, when, it, when, if, when the inevitable happens. Sure. Okay. Look, I'm not saying that he would leave. I'm saying that he would be told to leave. Or- told to leave. How can you be – if they went 7-9 and nine this year, I think he would have been out. Okay, but fair. But he didn't. They went to the playoffs. They lost a heartbreaker, to say the least, in, in the second yep. round. They're yep. going to be a Super Bowl threat next year. I don't see them forcing him out. Okay. So I have Minnesota winning that game, but winning it ugly. I got them winning it 20-10. to 10. Ugly. <laughs> You're going to laugh when you hear my score. I added Minnesota 20, Philly 9. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I just think it's going to be one of those ugly, ugly games that Nick Foles won't be able to score and won't be able to throw because Minnesota's pass defense is – look, they were able – yes, Breeze threw for 375, 376, whatever he did. But did you ever think that Drew Breeze had it easy in that game? Because. Unlike the game before, where he was basically picking apart Carolina, I didn't think for one for one moment in Minnesota he had it easy. No, he didn't. Um, you know the 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 biggest advantage I see for Philly in this is the worse the weather is, the better shot they have. Correct. Because it's, I'm with you. Because the, the big advantage that I do Philly has is their running game. Between Jay Ajay and, and, and LaShawn, uh, LeGarrette Blunt, you're looking at two big, burly backs who can handle 15-degree weather, 20-degree weather. You know, yeah, Ajay put, went to Miami, but he played. He went to college. He played in college at Ohio, in, in, in Idaho at Boise State. You know, Blunt played yep. for New England last year. Like, the weather is not going to phase them. You know, I don't know, you know, Latavius Murray or a McKinnon. I, I, I don't think it's going to have the same impact. I think Minnesota wins. I I do think they're gonna they're gonna Nick Foles beat them, and Nick Foles has not proven to be able. He's been able to prove that he's been able to not lose games. I think he's gonna have to win this game. I don't think he can do it. Look, this is what Howie Roseman got the two backs for, right? This is what he was envisioning, but he was envisioning it with the ability to have Carson Wentz win a game. Right, so okay, we're gonna pound you, we're gonna pound you, we're gonna pound you, and then at some point, they're just gonna stack the line, so we can't pound you. And then I got this guy Carson Wentz, who happens to be the MVP, or at least in the running at the time of his injury. And yeah, stack the line, go for it. I'll pick you apart, like no problem. I I, I got a quarterback that can do that now, and I'm gonna be able to do that. Unfortunately, now he doesn't have that quarterback. So he may be able to run, 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 but as you saw on Sunday, the 
the Minnesota back line can support the run. Ha- Look, Harrison um, – is it Hunter Smith, Smith or Harrison yeah. Smith? It's Harrison Smith, Harrison. right? The, yeah. the old Notre Dame guy, the safety. is as good a safety as I've seen, and I think he's incredibly underrated. I don't think he gets the, pull, the pub that he, he deserves. He's not the ball hawk guy. He's just the everything guy. I mean, he was in the backfield – just as much as anybody else for the for the uh, Vikings, and yeah, you feel bad for Marcus Williams, but a it didn't happen in the Super Bowl. Okay, uh, I mean you could talk to Jim Marshall about things that go wrong, um, and he's a rookie, so he'll recover. I mean he's not Steve Bartman. Did, did Raheem Moore recover? What's that? Did Raheem Moore recover? Raheem Moore. Look him up. He oh, no, I know what you're talking about. You're talking about the Joe Flacco. Yeah. But Raheem Moore wasn't a very good player to begin with. He was a first-rounder. I don't think he was a first-rounder, but he was he, he was like his second year, and he was playing. So I don't I don't know how bad he I, – I don't really remember. But I, I knew he didn't he was do a much first-rounder. Raheem Moore. Hold on. Raheem Moore of the Ravens. I was almost sure he was a first-rounder. We're looking it up. But, okay, the mir- the mile-high miracle. Yeah, I remember what you were talking about. But, okay, I mean, did he recover? I don't know. And you're right, the Denver Post actually brought up Marcus Williams' misplay brings back Raheem Moore memories. I actually yeah. hadn't thought about Raheem Moore until you just said that. But, Second, yeah, maybe you're right. The- What's that? Second round. Draft in the second round. Was it 59th? Because if it was, that's really, really scary. Uh, uh, I'll take a look. I'm looking now. No, 45. Were you just pulling up okay. a random number? Yeah. He was 45. No, 59th is when Marcus Williams was, was drafted. That's why I asked. Oh, okay. I, I was actually going with this. Like, there was some flow and ebb to, to me at this point. I know it's not common, but at this point there was. So there was some evidence. Okay, so let's move off the games and on to the front office. And ladies and gentlemen, we do have to end uh, 10 minutes early today, so we got about ten, uh, five to six minutes more in the show. So we'll get Seth's quick, quick take on Pat Shermer, who seems to be the Giants coach, and then we'll talk about the rest of the vacancies next week. Um, Patricia, McDaniel, it looks like all of them are going to be expats, guys. So... Um, I can hate everybody in the NFL now. Okay, <laughs> Pat, Pat Shermer, the offensive coordinator for the Vikings, former head coach of the Cleveland Browns, and former offensive coordinator, I believe, for the Eagles. Now, it seems like everybody likes Andy Reid disciples. Hopefully they get better time management skills. But well, Matt, they like four sometimes, and they like Andy Reid. Um, yeah, Andy Reid's yeah. tree is huge. Yeah. Well, he's been coaching forever, so it makes sense. Um, I'm okay with it. I, you know, I don't have a ringing endorsement of it, but the, the thing that I do like, you know, we had talked about it. I thought they would go offense. You had thought that they would go D. And it does look like they wanted Patricia, uh, who chose probably made the right choice in regards in a lot of ways going to Detroit. But what he has done with mediocre quarterbacks, Keenum, Nick Cole, Sam Bradford. You know, Beckham, Beckham seems to really like the 
brought, like the pick, which surprises me. Um, it seems to be, you know, he's an even-keeled guy. I don't mind that he failed in Cleveland because, I mean, come on, everyone fails in Cleveland. I'm not sure if 9-23 and 23 even constitutes failing in Cleveland. That may have to <laughs> put up a statue for that. Um, but he's a quarterback guy. And that leaves them with a really, you know, and that brings up kind of my whole point with what this team is going to do in the first, is going to do. Because he's going to get a chance to evaluate Manning and evaluate Webb. And if him and Gettleman, because unlike Patricia, who is not an offensive guy, you know, he's going to work with Gettleman to make the quarterback decision, I think. So yeah. if they don't think quarterback, if they don't think that Webb is the guy and they want to go Darnold or Rosen or whoever it is, like, this is a guy who has the credibility in my mind to say, okay, I'm, like, okay with it. Now, okay, fair. If, if, they don't, if they say, look, Webb is the guy, we're going Barkley or we're trading back, I can live with that. You're so a happy camper. I, I'm okay. I'm good with it. I also want to see who he brings in. Does he bring in DeFilippo from Philly as his offensive coordinator? Does he bring in Oh, I will Fox? hate you. <laughs> oh, does I he bring in you. John why are you going to hate me? Because I want DiFilippo as my offensive coordinator. Anyway, continue on. Is he going to bring in a John Fox who apparently doesn't really want to retire but is not getting a head coaching job as his defensive coordinator? Like, there are – he has a big tree. He, you know, remember, his dad was a pretty legendary coach for many years. So he has a lot of connections. I'm curious to see how this will play out. I'm not going to say I'm jumping overjoyed, but I'm not over. I wouldn't be overjoyed with anybody. I, you know. Well, that was going to be that was going to be my next question. Would you have been overjoyed at anybody? And obviously, that's not the case. No, I mean it's hard to be that excited, you know, about any New England disciple, considering their lack of success. You know, Romeo Cromel, Charlie White, McDaniel's the first time. You know, they, there's been very little. It just the acorn has fallen very, very far from the tree. Yeah. So I don't have an issue with this. And if it, and if Gettleman was going to take it, was going to go against the guy Steve Wilkes, who he, he knew very, very well down in Carolina. You know, and this was it. Look, Shermer. If Shermer didn't take this job, he was going to take Arizona. So, I mean, the question is, can he handle New York? Well, you know, Eli Manning wasn't the loudest guy in the world, and he handled New York. Jeter wasn't the loudest guy in the world. He handled New York. So I, I don't think – I don't know. I, I don't see a reason to be unhappy with the, with the pick. Whether it's the right one or not, I have both. Fair enough. So next week, uh, we're gonna, as I said, we're going to end the show a little bit early today. Next week we're going to go through the rest of the coaching uh, tree because we should have a little bit more of an idea as to who – maybe who takes – Arizona, but certainly who who has gotten the other jobs. Uh, we'll preview, at least start the preview of the Super Bowl, which should be awesome. And we'll also go through the Baseball uh, Hall of Fame, which should be announced, uh, I believe, this week. So, for Seth Kamens, this is Sean Palmer, Back Sports Page, uh, Blog Talk Radio, and Seth and Sean Sports uh, Radio Show. And we appreciate you uh, tuning in at 9.30 on a Tuesday morning. And one more can't thing. Go, can't wait to go back to regular hours. Seriously, uh, and I appreciate everybody due to my overnight last night. Uh, this is going. Uh, I may be asleep by our regular hours. And one last thing before we go: yesterday was Martin Luther King's birthday. Um, 
an honorable man, a man that proved how to do things without anger, without vindictiveness, and certainly without calling people idiots. And we could all take a little bit of a sense of morality from the legacy of Martin Luther King, including the people in our White House. So, uh, once again, for Seth, this is Sean, and we'll speak to you next week. Have a good one, everybody.